So, <clears throat> it's, you know, if you know my messages and stuff, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I'm like a, I got to tell stories and I got to, you know, I'm not, I was telling Mark, I'm not a professional Pastor Mark, I can tell you that. And don't sit there and go, thank God, <laughs> you know. I just, I just want you to know that uh, <clears throat> I'm going to start tonight. Tonight we're going to have some examples of some stories. We're going to be called to rise up tonight, especially men. And then there's going to be some mixtures of Scripture. And there's going to be some prayer about what's going on on the college campuses and what's going on in our high schools, and what's going on in our middle schools, and what's going on more than anything in families with the absentee dad. It was the fall of 2008, I believe, when my daughter, Chelsea, was going to college at UNT. And I happened to run into a guy named Ken Dornecker. And I said, hey, Ken, where are you going to be preaching? What college are you going to be on this week? And he said, UNT. I said, oh, man, that's awesome. My daughter goes there. And so I called my daughter, and I said, hey, look, Ken and a guy named Tom from Ohio are going to be on your campus in the free speech zone, and they're going to be speaking for about three days in the free speech zone. And I want you to go out there, if you get a chance, go out and support Ken and Tom. And Chelsea said, I'll do that. I'll try to finish up my studies, and I'll, I'll try to get out there. And this is a Monday. And I'll never forget that night when she called me. She said, Dad, almost in tears, Dad, I've never seen such persecution in my life. I've never seen people yelling and screaming curse words at, at Ken and Tom. I've never seen people just heckling them for hours. And Ken and Tom just took it. And they just spoke truth. They just keep spoke, speaking truth to these kids. And they're getting yelled at and screamed at. And I said, well, I'm going to have to come out there tomorrow. Right? Because I love a fight. No, I didn't. I don't, I don't love a fight. But I went out there because I, it was hard for me to believe it was that bad for number one. But number one, I love Ken Dornecker. And I want to I go out there and support Ken. So I go out there and I'm standing there and sure enough, man, there's people heckling him and Tom. And there's, there's the guy with the blue mohawk I'll never forget. And that guy would not stop. And him and the girl were really going after him. And I, I remember... Uh, there was a little break and everything, and, and, you know, Tom talked, and then Ken went up and talked, and the guy with the blue mohawk saw me on the edge of the crowd, and he walked out to me, walked over to me, said, hey, are you with them? And I said, well, I'm not part of their ministry, but as far as Jesus, yeah. And he said, well, I said, let me ask you a question. He said, what? I said, who in their right mind would come out here all day long and speak to you kids. Who in their right mind would take what they've been taking for the last several hours that I've been watching? Who would do that? You know who? People that love you. People that care. I said, Tom's from Ohio. He came all the way down here because he loves you. 
And that's why they're standing here. They don't get paid for this. Only in heaven. And the guys are looking at me, and all of a sudden, he just shut up for a few minutes. He's like looking at me. I said, who would do that? Only people that love Jesus and love people would come out to your campus and not get paid and travel a long distance because of the love of Jesus Christ. And he just stood there, looked at me, and it sure didn't stop him any. <laughs> he gets back out there, and here's what I remember. Tom is speaking, and it's almost at the end of the day, and finally that guy says, look, would you at least admit that you may be wrong about Jesus? Would you at least admit that? Tom sat there for a minute. And I mean, yeah, everybody in the crowd was tired of this guy, really. And Tom sat there for a minute and he goes, I, I could be wrong. And he said, that's all I needed to hear. And he grabbed his backpack. You remember this? Grabs his backpack, starts walking off with his backpack, and the crowd's watching him. And then... Tom yells out and he says, but it's by faith that I believe. And that guy goes. <laughs> and he comes back. You remember that? But here's what broke me. Here's what broke me. At the end of the whole thing, Tom's standing there and Tom says this. You know what? He said, I'm from Ohio, but I'm down here in Texas in the Bible Belt. And I know, out of this crowd of about 100 college students, I know there's got to be some Christians in this crowd. Got to be. He said, so I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to step over here. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you come over here and stand with me. Two-thirds of the crowd walked over. You remember this, Becky? Two-thirds of the crowd walk over there and stand with Tom and Ken. And Tom looks at him and goes, where were you? That's America's Christians today. Where are you? But Tom looked at him and said, hey, don't worry about it, guys. Listen, here's what we're going to do. You see those guys that are still on the other side of the line? Let's circle up and pray for them. Come on. Two-thirds of the crowd. See, here, here's Ken and Tom. They didn't even realize they're with the majority, supposedly. And the minority runs right over the top of us. And that's adults, too. Because we won't speak. Pastor Mark has been talking about reaching the lost in love. And we, those guys were speaking in love. They weren't fighting back. They never one time raised their voice and started fighting back. All they did was they spoke Jesus. Just like that song, I Speak Jesus. That's all they did. But they did it in love. And we need about every church in America to start doing that. Now here's what got me. Here's why that story came into mind, okay? My wife was at the women's Bible study about a week and a half ago when the women were studying. And she came home and she said, one of the ladies there who happens to be working in the youth, just this year I think she started, her and her husband, one of the ladies there was talking and she said, you know, 
are we raising up our kids to be fans of Jesus? Or are we raising up our kids to be followers of Jesus? And that's the question to every one of us in this room, that it's a parent or a grandparent. Are we raising up our kids to be fans? Just to say, I love Jesus. Just to say, I was baptized. I, I had the pleasure of baptizing five of my grandkids, and one of my, my daughters was rebaptized. I, I, I don't want to raise them as a fan. My daughter called me, Brandy, who's in here tonight. She called me when I was almost ready to come here a couple hours before, and she said, was telling me the story about our little Layla, who's seven, on the phone with her Oma, grandma, in Germany. And she's doing everything she can to lead her grandma to Christ. She's seven years old. We got adults that will never speak to anyone about coming to Christ. A seven-year-old little girl trying to lead her grandma in Germany to Christ on the phone. How could she do that? Because of mom and dad. You see, I just want you to know something. It is not Pastor Mark's role to raise our kids. It's not Jonathan's role to raise the youth up. It's not Matt, AJ, it's not any, anybody on staff to raise the, your kids up. They have to come up here and speak the truth in power about Jesus and the Word of God but they are not supposed to be raising your kids. It's the parents and the grandparents. And we've got to rise up. I've got to rise up. I said we. We have to rise up. My message tonight says sowing seeds for the fourth soil. If you know the story of the soil, you'll know what I'm talking about. We need to sow seeds for the fourth soil. We need steadfast followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. It's about cultivating the soil so that they can receive the seed. And that's the responsibility of parents and grandparents. They are, doing, they are supposed to be doing the cultivating. They're supposed to be preparing that soil for the seed. Mark brings the seed. Jonathan brings the seed. But the soil has to be cultivated and ready to hear the word so that it will change their heart and the Holy Spirit will move them to Christ and they'll get saved. Cultivate. It's not just defined for farmers and gardeners to prepare the land for the fields, although that is one of the definitions. To prepare the fields for crops and for gardening so that they can bear good fruit and good vegetables. That's what the farmer does. But that's not the only definition. It's also defined as trying to acquire or develop a quality or skill for life. And another is to apply oneself to improving or developing one's mind. Are we improving and developing the minds of our children, our middle schoolers, and our high schoolers, are we developing their minds toward Jesus Christ? Romans 2, 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? 
Why? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have kids going off to college that don't know what God's will is for their life still. And then when they get to college, they get creamed. And then they really get hardened in their hearts, and they forget Jesus. And they forget what they got taught for 18 years. And the more they hang with the wrong people, Pastor Mark been talking about that. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And they start hanging with these college students, 90% of them liberal. And pretty soon their hearts harden. Let me tell you something. Pastor Mark used to be a youth minister. Jonathan's a youth minister. I used to be a youth minister. I cannot tell you how many times my heart has been pierced. How about you? Pierced because we watched kids go out of our ministry, fired up for Jesus, and all of a sudden they get to college and they're living with the girl and they're doing drugs and they're living a different lifestyle and we're broken. And so are the parents. Christian parents are hurting all over our country because colleges are turning them to the world. But if we turn them into steadfast Christians from the time they're born to the time they get there, they got a lot better chance. A lot better chance. I'm usually pretty quiet, but you know, I just when it comes to teenagers and young people, I'm I'm not. So I just want you to know, you guys know the parable of the sower. I want to read it real quick. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Uh, Most translations say a sower. We're all sowers. If you're in here and you're a Christian, you're a sower. Go out and sow the seed. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because of the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, and because they had no root... Other seed fell along the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And then he explains it. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, stop, listen. The reason they don't understand it is because their parents aren't explaining it to them from the time they're little. Because I'm telling you, and most doctors and child psychologists and stuff will say kids learn so much between the time they're one, two, three, four years old, and then they will the rest of their life. And yet, we don't explain, we're not explaining. The seed is the kingdom. The seed is the gospel. And we're not explaining it to them when they're little. So it falls on the soil, on the hard soil, and the birds come and they eat it up. They snatch it up. Then there's a seed along the path. That's the seed along the path. Then there's a seed on the rocky ground. It refers to someone who hears the word. At once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Stop. Okay, so I'm teaching kids in a town not too far from here, and they hear the word, and they get excited, and within a year, 30 kids get saved, 30 kids get baptized, and then no one comes to church. Because there's no root, see? Because when they go home, and their parents aren't Christians, they're atheists, dad's not home, 
45 of my 60 kids coming, didn't have a dad at home. So they had no root. A lot of them even got saved at camp, or they got saved in our church, and, and yet there was no root. So they lasted only a short time. When trouble came or persecution came, they fell away quickly when they got to school. Then there's a seed among the thorns. It refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And I'm going to just tell you this. When teenagers grow up, graduate from high school, and go to college, there's no one there to help them with the worries of the world, for the most part. There's not many people there to help them with the worries of the world because most of the people there are in the world. And so they get, the, the, they get choked, and they, they're done. The deceitfulness. Satan's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a thief. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's using colleges all over America to do that. But it's harder, on a, it's harder for him to do that to someone that's steadfast, I mean really steadfast in Christ like Tim Tebow. Like the quarterback that was at TCU that came from Katy, Texas, went on and played in the pros. He was at TCU, and he saw all the disasters and stuff going on on the campus, so he started a Bible study in his dorm. Before it was over with, they had to move him to the auditorium at TCU because thousands of kids were coming. That's Dalton. That's a steadfast life right there. We have to cultivate, we, parents, grandparents, we got to cultivate and prepare them because they're going to get hammered. So how do we cultivate? Well, I'm going to give you a couple things. First of all, when Luca was born, we were there at the hospital, and we circled up, and we held Luca up in the air, and we dedicated, dedicated him right there to the Lord. That was as much for our benefit to raise him as it was. He, he didn't know. That was, that was for us to go, we're going to raise this kid in church. We're going to raise this kid. We're going to speak truth to this kid. Dedicate your kids to the Lord, even tonight. Pray that before you walk out this door. I'm dedicating my life to my kid tonight. If you're not being everything you need to be for your kid, walk out the door. Before you walk out, dedicate your Lord, yourself to the Lord, your parents, your grandparents. Don't walk out of here without making sure you're dedicated. And then here's the next thing. Let them see you hear and pray. Let them see you pray. Let them hear you pray. Because, see, these little kids, they're not just listening. They're actually watching you. And if you're not a doer of the word, you're just talking. That's just talk. But when my little girls would come downstairs for breakfast and glance in my, my bedroom and see my wife sitting on the, uh, basically kneeling down in front of a chair, praying and weeping, that made a difference in my daughter's lives. They saw the prayer warrior. She's a lot better than I am. But they saw my wife doing that. You know, my deal was 
I love to coach them in sports, you know. I coached them in all the sports and did all that. But what they saw was a Christian coach. If we had to play on a Sunday because we were a tournament team, everybody on my team is going to get a lesson. And the parents knew if we're going to play on this team, we're going to hear about Jesus. Let your kids see that. Play Christian music in your house. Play it all the time as they grow up. Play it in the car. I got a video of our little, little bitty grandson singing Waymaker in the car. And I don't know how Brandy was videotaping him while she was driving. Sorry, Brandy, I don't know if you're... <laughs> anyway. One time all of our grandkids were at our house sitting around the table and all of a sudden, little Silas said, hey, Papa, crank up Waymaker. So I crank up Waymaker. Next thing you know, all these children are jumping up in the air and singing Waymaker, praising God. Why? Because they got a Papa that's crazy and does that. <laughs> hey, Papa, slow down, man. You're not supposed to. Anyway, I won't show you what I do because it's, it might hurt my back. Anyway, so listen, daily read children's books and Bibles. Daily read them, and then talk to them about it. Make sure they got it. Before they're able to read, from one-year-old to five through five, read every day to them. Next thing is this. Bring them to church. Bring them to the nursery. Let them hang with other kids that are little, loving, and the teachers are teaching them already. Jesus loves you. Bring them to the nursery. Bring them to church. I see it, man. I see these kids walking through the door with their parents, and it just my heart just goes out, man. I'm like, yes! Bring them to the nursery. Let them get used to God's house. This is his house. Bring them to God's house. Proverbs 22.6. I'm just going to stop right there. Listen, I wasn't sure about my sermon. And this morning... I opened up the devotion that we read, and guess what the devotion was? Proverbs 22.6, and I said, okay, God, I'll speak it. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's in, that's in And then the NIV says it this way. I like this. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start them out when they're children. That's where the church comes in. They need to love church. They need to love it. And I mean love it, not just on Christmas and Easter. Children, 6 to 12. Look, it's time to raise the bar now. You got them from 1 to 5, now 6 to 12. We need to raise the bar. Most of you may not know this, but over the last few months, I told you four of my grandkids gave their life to Christ. Two of them were six and two of them were eight. They were baptized. They love the Lord. Teach. Now, this is the time you can get into it. Teach them how to pray. Not just you praying for them. Teach them how to pray. How to pray to God. How to pray for others. How to pray for our own family. Teach them how to pray for their friends. See, tell them to seek, ask, them, ask God, seek, ask, knock, all those things. How to pray for the lost. Let them pray at the meals. 
Not God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Let them say their own prayers. You should see some of the most beautiful prayers or hear some of the most beautiful prayers I hear from a six-year-old at my table. Because they always start out with, thank God for Grandpa. No, I'm just kidding. Just joking. It's always Nana. Don't worry. Oh, and then they'll say Papa too, you know. I don't blame them. But listen, teach them to pray in public. Listen, I'm in North Carolina with my sales rep. We go into a restaurant, and we get our food, and we're walking to the table, and all of a sudden we hear somebody praying, and we look, and it's an eight-year-old boy praying for his grandma and grandpa. Eight years old, and he's standing up. He's standing next to him, praying at the top of his voice. I went over and congratulated him, and I said, he's going to be a preacher, man. But when they can read... Let them read Psalms. Let them read Proverbs. Let them get into the New Testament. Sit down with them as they're reading. Let them just read a little bit at a time and say, hey, did you understand that? When they're old enough to read, let them read. Get them to read. And keep the Christian music on in your house. And then they'll start learning. And here's the other thing I've noticed when my grandkids come in here and they, and they watch our praise and worship team. They want to play. They want to play the guitar. They want to sing in a praise and worship team someday because the Holy Spirit's already got a hold of them. They're like, man, I want, to be like, I want to be like them. So they're learning an instrument. Let your kids learn an instrument. They may be the next Joni up there. Teach them that. Stay in church. And don't back down. Stay in church. Let me just tell you something. Second Chronicles 24, 1 and 2 talk about Joash. He was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jeho- Jehoadiah was the priest. What about Second Chronicles 34, 1, 2? Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed in all the ways of his father David, not turning from the right or left. Do not look down on children. They can learn and they can teach you. Teenagers, that's the next step. I just want to tell you, if you want to learn about parenting, He's, he preached a whole series on it. We got these out there. Pick them up. Listen to them again. Listen to them again and again. There was a pastor here in town that was preaching, and he was talking about how he used to do prison ministry, and he'd say, I'd go into a prison, and in prison ministry, he said, you know, you would see a lot of whites, a lot of blacks, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of Asians, but he said, you know what I hardly ever saw? A Jewish person. What? He said, I hardly ever saw a Jewish person. And he said, I think the reason is is because at 13, they have to be a man. They go through the barvitza, and they are, they are, they're supposed to be a man now. No childish games. Well, wait a minute, Luke is 13. 
Sorry. <laughs> Let me pray for a minute. No, I'm just kidding. But honestly, listen, middle school kids, high school kids, it is time for us to seriously start with preparation. Seriously. Even if we've done it all the way up to that point, hang with your kids. Don't be an absentee person. They really need the love. Let them have some freedom, but not the kind of freedom that they should be going to. Wrong friends, wrong places, wrong music. You still run the household. But here's the thing I, I, I wish we would do more of, and I, I wish I would do more of. It's time for them to go out and speak truth. See, they, they hear the words, but I would like to challenge them to go out and speak truth. Go out. Go out these doors and speak truth. Speak truth at high school. Just go out and start speaking truth. Now, I say that because of what I said on the college campus. Here's these Christians that got, let them get bashed and never said a word. But Robert, at Cleburne High School, he was brought up as a Christian, and his sophomore year, right before the end of his sophomore year, he started doing the wrong stuff. Told his parents he didn't want to go to church. Started doing things he shouldn't be doing. And so his dad pulled him aside and said, son, here's the deal. We're going to read a chapter, starting with Matthew. We're going to read a chapter every day. I'm going to read it at work. You're going to read it at home. And every night at dinner, after dinner, we're going to sit there and we're going to discuss chapter 1, Matthew. We're going to start with chapter 1, Matthew, and we're going to discuss it. And Robert put up a fit. But he said, look, I'm dad. I run this household. And you will read it, and we'll start studying at night. Well, after about a week, Robert started enjoying it. My dad and I are hanging out together. I'm learning the Word of God. And let me just tell you what happened. They did it all summer long. At the end of the summer, Robert goes, what are we going to do now, man? School's starting. His dad said, well, you got a lunchtime there at school? Yeah, you're going to read a chapter at lunch at Cleburne High School. And I'm going to read it at work, and then we're going to keep doing the same thing. He goes, Dad, they won't let you go take a Bible school. He goes, yeah, they do. It's against the law not to. You can take a Bible school, and you can do it at lunch. So he goes to lunch at school. He's got his Bible sitting there, and he starts reading his Bible. And this girl comes up and says, what are you doing? He said, I'm reading my Bible. My dad do this at home. You know, we read it together at, at lunches, and then we go home, and we discuss it at night and everything. She goes, man, I wish my mom or dad would do that with me. And Robert said, bring your Bible tomorrow. Talk to your mom and dad. See if one of them will do it with you. Next day, she brings her Bible. Within one semester, there's almost 100 kids at Cleveland High School with a Bible at lunchtime. Come on. Will our kids at Grace do that? I challenge them. Take your Bible to school. Take your Bible to school. See what happens. Let me tell you something. Jonathan does, and I'm not saying this because he's your son. I'm saying this because it's true. He is an incredible youth minister. We are blessed to have someone that steps up and speaks truth like he does and loves those kids, and he's teaching those kids to how, how to have a relationship together but how to go outside the door and have relationships. When I was walking out of the youth room on the way in, there's a girl in the youth room that just brought about 10 kids. We don't bring 10 adults, I can tell you that, but she brought about 10 kids. They're all just coming in with her, and I'm like, who are all these kids? She goes, they're all my friends at school. 
Oh, that's so cool. I'm just telling you, Jonathan does a great job teaching that kind of stuff. A great job. But what happens when they get home? Come on, mom and dad. What happens when they get home? Make sure they're in the right relationships. Years ago, I was at a, at a revival in Ohio, and I helped start it because it was in the county I grew up in. It was a very dark county, not very religious. And we started a revival up there, and so I made a commitment to the FCA director that I would fly up there every three, I would fly up there three months in a row before the revival and train their kids up to go out and witness to people. When the revival started, 108 teenagers went out and prayed over people in their county. 108. We can do this, guys. We can do this, adults. And Burleson's a lot bigger than the little town we were in. But we can do this. We can train them up to go out and pray for people. We're not saying, hey, go out and lead everybody to Christ. We're saying go out and pray for your people in your community. And then if they want to talk about Jesus, which they will because they go, what are you doing out here? And you start telling them. So I want to, I want to close with this. First of all, the kids can read it. First Timothy 4, 12, 16. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak this right now. I got something else I want to say, but 2 Timothy 3 10. You know, Paul, Paul is training Timothy, a young man. And Paul doesn't back down. I mean, he tells them everything. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And he basically teaches Timothy to be steadfast. And I mean steadfast. If you read the words in 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy about what he's telling him, basically follow my example. Basically don't, don't listen to anything that's wrong. Don't listen to the, the, the noise of the crowd. Stay steadfast. He's teaching Timothy. That's what we need to do. We need to keep doing that in the home. In the home. Mom and dad. Listen, man. I've read the stories where Jesus fed 5,000, right? What's it say? Jesus fed 5,000 men. Jesus fed 4,000 men. Oh, and there were women and children there too. You know what that means? He needs strong men. The men are the leaders. I'm telling you, if men will lead, the wife will follow. If the wife and men are following each other, then the kids will follow. Remember what I said, Proverbs 22.6, train up your children, and they'll be cool. It'll be fine. Listen, here's the deal. Carla and I were over in the West End in Dallas years ago. We're in the West End, and we finished eating, and we walk outside, and we're walking at walking down the street, and, and I look over, and there's this guy with, that had tattoos all up and down, body piercing, and all that, and I saw him passing out propaganda. Well, if you know anything about me, i got to go find out what that is. <laughs> I'm like, you know, Carl's like, no, <laughs> you know, he's tattooed all up. So I walk over to this guy, and I said, hey, man, what are you passing out? 
He goes, hey, you want one? I said, yeah. He passes it to me, and I look at it, and it's a track about Jesus. I said, oh, dude, that's awesome. He goes, yeah, man. And I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah. It's personal. That's okay. I said, what's your story? He said, you want to know my story because of all the tats and everything? I said, I just want to know what your story is. Out here on the street, yeah, you're all tattooed up. you got piercings and everything. I said, you got to have a story. I mean, people don't just do that unless they got a story. He goes, well, I'll tell you my story. He said, I grew up a Baptist in Arkansas. Went to church every week. Got baptized. Was following God. But I got to college here in Dallas, Fort Worth. I went to college. And right away, all these people talked me into partying and doing all the fraternity stuff. I went to the fraternity party, started drinking, got hooked on drinking, got hooked on alcohol. Next thing you know, I'm smoking pot. Next thing you know, I'm doing heavy drugs. He said, my dad stopped talking to me, shut me off, boom. But my mom kept praying for me. And my mom kept talking to me. He said, so one night, man, he said, I was, I was wiped out, totally smashed. And I decided, sorry, I decided to take my life. It was after midnight, and I said, you know what? I'm going to call my mom and dad's house and leave a message on their machine. It was back then. I'm going to leave a message on their machine, tell them how much I love them and how sorry I am that I've ruined their lives. I said, I called up to leave the message, and my mom answered the phone. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and she answered the phone. And, I, and I, she said, hi, hi, son. And he said, what, what are you doing up? And she said, well, I've been praying for you. And while I was praying for you, the Lord spoke to me in my heart and said, you're going to call me tonight. And he got broken. And he got clean. And he built his relationship back up with his dad who, by the way, should have never gave up on him. But mom didn't. And he's in deep Elam with a buddy starting a church over there. That's what he was doing. He's passing out tracks to try to get people. And this is what he said. The reason we're starting a church in deep Elam is because we're reaching people that the church can't. He didn't say the church won't. He said the church can't reach these, but we can. Here's my story, guys. Never give up. If I, sat, if I stood here right now and said, how many of y'all have had kids turn away, turn to drugs, turn to a different lifestyle, just turn completely away from God when they get to college? There would be a lot of you probably raise your hand. There's a lot of prodigals out there, and I'm going to tell you right now, God cares about them. And someone's got to preach to him. So I'm getting tattoos next week. No, I'm just kidding you. I'm not getting tattoos. Or body piercing. That's, I can't believe that. You know, there's a song out right now. Carl and I were talking about it, and I'd already written this down. The enemy thought he had me. But Jesus said, you're mine. And they're still his if they got saved. 
And God's got his arms open, wide, waiting for them to come back. Ken's great with the prodigal son. He's waiting for them to come back. And the enemy may think he's got them. And he might have them temporarily until mom and dad step in, until the Lord steps in, until the Holy Spirit, through their prayers, draws him back. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will draw a renegade back. So don't give up. Don't get, give up at all. Get down. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I love this church because so many of y'all will pray. And I'm telling you, don't have fear to talk to your church brothers and sisters in here and say, I need prayer. I need prayer for my kid that's fallen away. I need prayer. Don't see what happens is when when kids get into a different lifestyle and all that kind of stuff, parents shut down. They don't want anyone to know. They feel like it's their fault. And that's not what we can we don't need that. We need to we need to get our friends together that we trust here in this church and say, pray. Pray. Pray for me. Because I'm going to tell you something. The enemy thought he had him. But Jesus says you're mine, and I believe that. So let me pray.